Welcome to Unstructured Unlocked, a podcast where listeners discover how enterprise data and automation leaders are solving their most complex unstructured data challenges. I'm your host, Chris Wells. Welcome to another episode of Unstructured Unlocked. I'm your host, Chris Wells, VP of R&D at Indico Data. And today I'm really excited to introduce you to Satish Shanoi, who is the VP of Technology Alliances and Ecosystems at SS&C Blue Prism. Uh, SS&C is a pioneer of robotic process automation and a market leader for the last 20 plus years. And Satish has been there for almost four years now and currently leads, uh, as I said, the Technology Partner Alliances and Partner Ecosystem. Satish, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Chris. Really glad to be here. Yeah, I think we're going to have a good conversation. Um, let's start that off. Uh, maybe you can tell me a little bit about your role uh, and your responsibilities at SS&C Blue Prism. Thank you, Chris, again. So yeah. at SSNC Blue Prism, as the VP of Technology Alliances, I lead a team that uh, builds a robust uh, partner ecosystem with nearly 125 plus partners. We work in conjunction with what we call the go-to-market partners. These are global system integrators, value-added resellers, even advisory partners like uh, the McKinsey's, the Baines, uh, all of the, those yeah. partners to accelerate time to value. I mean, it's all about removing the friction, right? Where our customers are looking for choice to connect technologies or technology stacks to drive value for their business. What we are doing is creating a best of breed approach, giving customers choice and so that they can leverage the best technology there is to achieve the, the most optimal business outcomes quickly, right? It's about accelerating their time to value, right? For us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And for us too, yeah. And for us with Blue Prism at the same time. Um, more on that in a second. I I love the ecosystems concept. Um, for those for those folks out there who, you know, aren't in the alliances space, talk to us about why it takes more than just, you know, co-selling motion. Like why is the building the ecosystem important in this space? Well, uh, ecosystems, you know, are, are there is so much value um, delivered through, you know, one is scale and reach, right? Mm. In terms of reaching customers, reaching verticals, reaching geographies. To, to me, that ecosystem is the one that allows you to do that, right? And then second is um, in terms of um, uh, how many um, customers or prospects you reach, you know, not just yeah. the, the reach itself, but how quickly can you reach them, right? Yeah. And uh, and then it's also about, um, you know, one plus one is three, I, I call it. So what you yeah. could do on your own, right? The, because every, so um, I look at our partner ecosystem and both on the technology side and the go-to-market side, and I think, oh, you know, on my own, I could do X, right? But then uh, with my partners, I could really drive that, um, you know, the the truism that one plus one is three, you know, maybe four, maybe five, yeah. depending on the partner. But uh, it's really, um, we see that in action. In fact, SSNC Blue Prism, we have about um, north of 300 partners in total, um, which is so, so very uh, partner engaged, uh, I would call it, right? So yeah. solution-led, uh, very customer-centric, but partner-engaged. Right on. So, 
that's that's fantastic reach. I one benefit I would add to that is um, automation is kind of a noisy space, and getting plugged into an ecosystem where there's common vocabulary, common understanding of what can and cannot be done is is really really valuable in pushing this industry forward. Well said, well said, Chris. Very good. Thank you. Thanks. Um, all right. So on on this podcast, I talk to a, a number of different types of people, but but one of the roles uh, and personalities I talk to a lot is the center of excellence lead. You know, at a you know whatever large company, small company, whatever it is. Um, but you talk to a lot more COE leads than I do. So I would I would love to get your thoughts about you know how does SSNC Blue Prism think about what a proper center of excellence for automation is. Yeah, no, this is very true. In fact, um, our more, lot, lot of the time, our default contact tends to be a, a, a COE in most cases, an automation COE. Sometimes it's broader, but uh, in most cases, it's focused on automation. To me, a COE, I mean, first of all, let's get a common understanding of what is a COE. Right? Yeah, good idea. <laughs> to me, it's a dedicated team of individuals who are setting the standards, who provide consulting and development assistance, uh, software development assistance, and then they monitor the progress, right? I mean, you, you can never really do something and measure it, right? So they're, they're good about all of that, right? Um, really creating those standards and so on. Um, you know, in terms of um, the COEs themselves, uh, I've seen three different models, right? The first one is a centralized model. So where a single team you know, in the center is responsible for coordinating, supporting, and promoting automation across the entire yep. system. A decentralized model where um, this team kind of supports the structured collaboration. They might set standards, like I was saying earlier, but um, there are representatives from different business units that are kind of- Okay, uh, like embedded within the business unit. That's right. Okay. And then, um, you know, it's the Goldilocks thing, right? So there's one, one end is centralized, the other end is decentralized. And then there's the federated model. Basically, ah. it promotes collaboration between the smaller COEs um, and manages this collaboration to a, through a, a larger central team. In my experience, most times I've seen a more centralized COE, even though I think the federated model is becoming more and more common, especially as we deal with... Interesting larger and larger organizations and and it, more so in cases where they have come together through acquisitions or what have you right then it's tough uh -huh. for, for uh, uh, you to say oh this is the central team because they might have different standards they have to agree on what yeah. works best for each uh, uh, each uh, business unit or what have you right so it's uh, interesting we come across all those models okay that's great I um I think the centralized one is the easiest to set up. And I think that's probably why most folks go there. It's it's interesting that I think the federated model is definitely the hardest to keep in place because there's that tension, right, between the two endpoints. It's interesting to me that you're saying that often you end up in the federated model sort of accidentally because you've cobbled different organizations together. Um, I hadn't heard that before. No, because they, you know, you, you can think about these IT teams having very strong opinions about how a, you know, how how a particular technology should be rolled out. Developers with strong opinions, <laughs> no way. So, uh, you know, as as companies come together or you know things happen, then uh, federated model probably makes sense. But yeah. we see 
we see the tension though sometimes, right? We we do see tension at times, and especially in the federated model. Um, yeah. So federated model, I, it sounds like you're saying is best practice. If you're if you're a currently a centralized model, like what are what are th I don't know two three steps that you take to make that move towards a federated model? Well, it depends. So um, let me throw one. Um, caveat here right yeah it also depends on the size of the organization if it's a okay. small to mid-sized organization a centralized model makes the most sense why would you kind of split it up right yeah. but then uh if it's a large organization because uh you know with different business units to your question about how do you move from central centralized to maybe a more federated because so uh, it really goes to what are the individual business units trying to achieve? Are they significantly different yeah. uh, ways in which to achieve them? Then what we see is, you know, the centralized model kind of starts moving to a more federated model because it makes sense. Yeah. You can't have one standard that can go across the organization. You know, one organization is doing uh, a specific kind of business with outcomes that are very different from the other. Uh, you yeah. know, if you look at um, some of the largest companies that have come through acquisitions, that's that's typically the case, right? So, yeah, that makes sense. And, and you make a good point that like, you know, at a large organization, you're gonna have automation embedded in accounts receivable, right? And accounts payable. That's very different function and, and work from say the back office of a bank, right? And so you should manage those things. Even if only from a regulatory point of view, you should manage those things in different ways. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so the COE is like, it's sort of like the nuclear core, right? In the submarine, there's a whole lot uh, that sort of surrounds the COE. Um, and I want to eventually get to like, you know, what's the top-down mandate that drives these things. But talk to me a little bit more about, you got the COE at the core, What's best practice in terms of the way that the organization sort of engages with and structures around the COE? So typically when we engage with the COE and let's say there's a business unit that um, different lines of business that surround the COE that are relying on the COE for, for guidance as they deploy yeah. and so on. What we see typically is the COE becomes almost like the arbiter. Um, you know, uh, we, we, engage with the COE, we uh, talk to the COE, we kind of get their, we collaborate with them to kind of get them fully apprised on what we are trying to, what is it that we can achieve, especially if there's a particular business unit we are targeting, let's say yeah. HR, finance. I mean, just recently, this last week, we were talking to a COE that brought in um, for one of the world's largest um, uh uh, it's a financial services company that brought in the HR. You know, this in this case it was uh, Workday, which was uh, the technology that they were using. Yeah. So the COE actually um, were um, facilitating. So initially they said, huh. "Tell me more about, you know, what is it that Blue SSNC Blue Prism would do in in the case of Workday? We'll we'll talk about Indico in a minute. Okay. Uh, but." Uh, you know, in this case, just for this example, you know, and that, so they brought the HR uh, team to the table after we had that first conversation about our vision of what we can do for HR, right, in that particular yep. instance. And then the second conversation was with HR. They shared use cases, et cetera. So we see 
the COE as you know kind of this uh, setting the standards can kind of you know keeping um, a, a particular um, how would I say it you know this facilitation kind of uh, ownership um, yeah I, I don't want to call them the uh, the police but it's kind of they they have to somebody has to set the standards somebody has to monitor how the technology is performing right in support of the business the business may not yeah. know i mean you don't want a shadow it kind of team all over you want that coe to be that um, that standards body if you will and yeah tracking performance and you know uh creating processes in line with what the business needs etc right so Absolutely. Yeah, I, I've seen COEs play roles from like facilitator in the best case to police and maybe the worst case. And then often somewhere in between, it's like family counselor or something like getting the right people to talk to each other and say the right things. Yeah, we are lucky that we work, we tend to work with uh, in this example uh, that I was just telling you about. This uh, COE team was amazing. I mean, they understood exactly how to leverage the best of technologies to drive the best business outcomes. I mean, they were, yeah. you know, after that first conversation, and this is typical, right? You go talk to the COE, you show them what you have in mind, you share the the vision and how you'll you think you'll uh, deliver value to that business that that they support, and then when you talk to the business, they're actually in a almost like a, a sponsor. Mm. The COEs are a sponsor. And they are really helping you, um, you know, um, they're, they're side by side with you and saying, you know, here's how I see this working. And so that that's really interesting. Helps. Yeah, that that brings to mind um, the question of, you know, what are the hallmarks of a mature center of excellence for automation in your mind? Like when you walk in and, and you talk to a team, what are the sort of like the the things that you're looking for in terms of saying, those guys are mature. They know what they're doing. Yeah. So um, I'll actually talk about maturity, but also then, you know, I'll bring back the mandates thing you were talking about. Right? Yeah. Great. So maturity, you know, most, if you look at um, a, a lot of the um, uh, companies out there, they, they, they have kind of three levels. Um, you know, so some of them are just deploying technology, um, you know, in, in, they're at the beginning stages of okay. deploying technology. But then some are, um, you know, so if you look at um, the three levels, right, uh, we call them waves, there is the efficiency and productivity level. That's number one. The second, this is where you're identifying um, isolated areas of automation that you can drive within an organization. Yep. The second level is, oh, I, I, I know how this all kind of ties together end to end. So now I know about driving business performance, right? I'm tying mm. these elements of automation together and I'm able to use AI plus automation. So a technology like Indico and uh, Blue Prism to drive uh, business performance. Now you're not just talking about islands of automation, but now you're talking the next level. And the third level, and this is, um, you know, most, uh, so I'll, I'll get back to where we find most companies. So level one, level two, level one is efficiency and productivity. Level two is yep. business level three is business transformation right ah. where um, most companies are in the one and two uh, kind of uh, uh, levels 
you know, you really, most successful uh, companies that have transformed have reached level three. And what's unique about level three is there are uh, processes that they've created that are suitable for digital workers, not so much for human uh. workers. So if you think about um, running a process overnight, you know, you wouldn't have, ordinarily you wouldn't have a, a human worker that's working overnight yeah. or 24 seven, right? And yep. so, um, so these these processes are so well optimized for not just human workers, which is, you know part of the process can be executed by the human worker, but then also digital workers. And some of the processes are only for digital workers. Yeah. So if you can get to that level of maturity, you know you're really achieving transformation. Then, yeah. So, that's the maturity scale, right? We can talk about mandates if you want. Uh, some. Yeah, let me let me circle back to mandates. I love I love those three levels that you're talking about, and it's interesting. Everyone talks about business transformation, digital transformation, um, but most people get stuck somewhere along. You know, they get maybe they get to step two, right? They just have their toes on it. Um, and I think what you highlighted there is the reason they get stuck in that. Um, it's not just about automating a process. It's about automating the right process. And when you're in when you're in step one, you're just gonna you're gonna do a one to one replacement of like people do this, bot does this, right? And Nirvana, like getting to level three, is now I have this whole digital workforce. What else could we be doing, or what could we be doing differently? And it's it's really flipping that mindset around um, that gets That's you there. The what could I do differently? You know, I'm not uh, locked into, oh, this is how we have done things, because yep. you are catering to the limitations of what you've done before. Exactly. Yeah. Thinking, um, you know, business. What does my business need? What's the maximum that my business needs, and work from there, so that you know, your we were talking about the workforce. I think at one point, right? Workforce yeah. can be not just humans, but also digital labor. Right. So. Yeah, you've you've used the phrase digital label and digital workers um, a couple of times. And uh, I wonder if you would just give us a definition for the audience who may not be familiar with that, uh, with those phrases, which I like very much. <laughs> Thank you. A digital worker to me is a software robot that can do anything a human worker can do. Right. They can be assigned an ID and credentials just like you would a human worker. They can be trained to do manual tasks. Right, you as you would train, like somebody you bring in to do accounting, right? You would teach them if you, if they need it. You would teach them how to do accounting, so yeah. you could actually teach the digital worker, right? This this uh, software robot uh, entity, you can train uh, it it to do manual tasks like a human worker, but then yep. these tasks could be repeated, usually are repetitive, high volume tasks. You know, keep in mind that uh, a digital worker makes no mistakes. Doesn't take any time off right. or, or sick right. and can work 24 seven, right? So that's how we yeah. like to. No, I love it. I will say they do make mistakes. It's just they only make the mistakes that you told them to make because of your bad process that you, you know, you encoded. Uh, I'll also say I still don't trust. You said, you know, it's a robot that can do anything a human can do. I still don't trust the bots to make me a cappuccino. Like I just don't. They're not there yet. Um, not there yet. We'll, we'll teach there them. Yet. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, good. Um, so uh, I I kept kicking the can. I want to circle back. So you've got you've got the COE has business partnerships, 
hopefully to the point where the business is starting to, you know, the business has been transformed in the way that they're thinking about what they want to automate and what they can do. Um, in terms of, in terms of the COEs you've worked with, like what's the top-down mandate from the business that's driving all of this? Are, are there categories or is there, you know, sort of one mandate that rules them all? What, what have you seen? I like the one, one mandate rules them all. It's, it's simple. Um, no, actually, so, you know, when, when we talk to people about transformation uh, and you've heard this, Chris, yeah. people process technology, you know, simple. Oh, yes, right? too, too simple. Too simple. So, um, what we we have something called the robotic operating model that's very unique to uh, SSNC Blue Prism, and we look at um, that robotic operating model as um, five different foundational elements or mandates, right? Okay. So the first is strategy. So based on the vision, you know what is the vision for your organization? You know, start with the end in mind, and yep. then formulate a strategy that uh, meets that that vision. That's number one. Number two is the workforce. You know, instead of saying people, it's more than people, right? It's it's also that digital worker, digital labor. There are various ways to get work done. So that workforce is a unified workforce. Third is um, designing. So strategy, workforce, design. Identify the transformational opportunities that you have through research, you know, consulting, whatever it needs to be, right? Talk to talk to your business units. The COE will engage with the business unit to understand what, what it is that needs to be done. What are the pain points? What are the priorities? Um, what are the personalities even? Yeah, uh, right. So, so we got strategy, workforce design. Now, next is build. This is where we understand the technology lifecycle and the methodologies that ex exist. I mean, CEO, the COE does too to deliver yep. value at the speed that is comfortable to the organization. That's the key, right? Change yep. management. Like it's really understanding what is comfortable to the organization and then building or developing um, technologies and things like automation and yep. AI from uh, Indico to support that. And the final piece is operate. So you, we talked about best yep. practices earlier. Best practices from the standpoint of uh, achieving efficient planning and you know smooth production and control of business operate uh, the operations in line with what that business needs right and different businesses like if you're talking about the back office that business needs very different operations than the front office or the call center which is yes. mission right so so that's why we have these five elements uh, so strategy workforce design build or develop and then operate right so if you look at those five elements we find customers that actually embrace those five yeah we see them very successful and deploying thousands hundreds if not thousands of uh, digital work workers so it, it's inter it's interesting i it, in those five pillars that you just mentioned there isn't a lot that you couldn't just apply meaningfully to any other initiative within your business. I think the unique flavor that you're bringing is saying like, hey, you have more than people at your disposal, right? You have this people, bot, digital worker, um, you know, partnership, and you should keep that in mind as you as you plan and, and run in perpetuity and production. You're right, you're right. Uh, I think that's because that's uh, unique to us. That's why yeah. you know, 
bring that uh, element, uh, we highlight that. But you're right, at a high level, those five can apply in a, in a variety of uh, situations and initiatives. Yeah, no, I, I think it's great. Maybe the one mandate to rule them all is just, you know, be a business that's, you know, run efficiently and use all the tools at your disposal in the right context. Um, I, I think uh, when you said uh, efficient, run efficiently, I was, I was thinking of the balance that the business has to strike between yes. you know, eff efficiency and effectiveness. Where is that balance, right? Um, how much can you drive efficiency to the point where it's not effective anymore right yeah yeah and that and that throughout that comes in through all those five pillars right like i can make a very i can make a very efficient process that has very little impact on the business right if i pick too much low-hanging fruit um, as i choose my projects yeah. yeah yeah this is great that's a great framework for thinking about these things um i want to uh, we're gonna we're making our way uh, down here to getting to unstructured data, but I want to I want to give you a chance to talk about um, that change management element that you mentioned. Um, people have been doing things the way they've been doing often for a long time, and um, you know when you introduce those digital workers, just like if you onboarded a new you know you know if you took your team and onboarded another. 50 people, your 50 person team, that requires change management to do it, right? So um, what do you see as best practices in terms of change management for onboarding these digital workers? So um, the, 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 the most common thing we see, Chris, is the fear of the unknown, right? Yeah. Automation, uh, you know, if you bring in new people into a team, you can, you can imagine some people will get nervous, especially if they're doing uh, the same job that the human, yep. you know, I, if I was doing one job and somebody, you know, my my management brought in people that are doing sim a similar job, then, you know, how do we kind of work to it? If, if I can pick one thing, it's that um, the fear of the unknown and making sure people understand where the automation technology uh, is being used, why is it being used, and, and what happens to their job, their work, and, you know, they're doing more meaningful work as as a result. I, you know, people see after some time after they see that the automation technology is not a threat. So education is critical. Is basically what I'm getting at, right? Education of the people. It all it's always all about people. Yeah. And education of those people in terms of what the change is, why the change is coming, and and how will uh, the new reality. Kind of work around them, right? Is yep. is really uh, what we see in the end. It's all about people, right? And if you yes. can educate them, if you can prepare them, if you can manage their expectations, um, and show them where we, you know, where we're going together, I think, um, yeah, that's the best practice, if you will. No, I I agree. I um, this comes up almost every episode where. You know, I think five years ago, maybe a little longer, when RPA was really starting to like hockey stick, everyone was just talking about, oh, we're going to lay all these people off or repurpose them. And what has really happened is that automation has become this truly human centric endeavor. And what we're doing is reimagining what work could be or even and should be um, in some cases. Yeah. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is when you take that. Uh, and show it with a customer example. You know, what has a customer mm. done 
um, that is very relevant to the story you just shared, right? One of our largest re regional banks in the East, uh, East Coast that is a customer of ours, they called, um, they called us on a Friday evening, I still remember, it was a Friday evening, I got this call from a cust that customer and they this is right around the pandemic. The pandemic had just hit. Uh, Pay, you know, people were not able to make payroll, right? Companies were not able to. And so um, the small business SBA, the small business association had, had said, oh, you need to apply. You need to uh, send applic applications to your bank. Yeah. And so this bank received 35,000 loan applications. Wow. And so in order, they, and they had been given a deadline by the government, by the SBA, saying you need to process these loan applications within a certain time frame. Well, you could, you could hire a thousand people if you can find them, um, especially in the pandemic where you don't know how you're going to manage them, right? You can't bring them into your location. Yeah. And then, uh, or you could leverage, uh, you know, innovate, innovative technology like uh, intelligent uh, workforce, digital workforce. And yep. so that's what they did. They called us. They said, okay, we have, um, you know, um, how can we solve this? And our answer, of course, was there's going to be a, a digital workforce that's a component of it, not all of it, right? Yep. So they were, long story short, they were able to leverage the digital workforce to process the 35,000 loan applications. Actually, in the end, saving so many businesses from going under. Yep. Right. Just think about them, those businesses not able to make payroll. And now they're able to because digital workers kind of save the day. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You you know, we talked about the fact that bots don't get sick or take vacation days um, in terms of the fear and the unknown. They also don't have egos. Like if you're bringing a new person on the team. Right. And now what you're really highlighting is they're I mean, as long as they're Okay, computer chips are hard to find these days, but as long as the the chips are around, the machines are around, they also scale almost infinitely, right? So, um, makes business process smoother. Yeah, that's great. Well, the title of the podcast is Unstructured Unlocked, and I I think we've put it off as long as we can. Uh, so, what does unstructured data mean to you, Satish? To me, uh, it's really about the opportunity to help businesses make more sense out of uh, the data they have. See, businesses have so much data these days. And they do. We are generating data at a pace that has never been seen before, right? And, you yeah. know, the data volume is keeps on increasing every single year, right? So my my a, a email inbox reminds me of this every morning when I look at it. So uh, making sense out of that data yeah. And a lot of a lot of that data happens to be unstructured. So, um, I think the gold mine and companies like Indico um, and SSNC also has um, you know some of the offers that are complementary and so on. You know anybody that can look at unstructured data and say, um, what are the insights I can glean from it? First of all, you know, enable the company to use that data, um, yeah. the richness out of it. And a lot of the data, you know, we know a lot of the data is unstructured. And so making sense and getting value are the two things I would say um, to drive better business outcomes. Uh, that's that's what unstructured data means to me. When I see unstructured data, I see an opportunity, right? Yeah, um, yeah. To get, to create more impact for, for businesses. 
Yeah, no, totally agree. Uh, I I often characterize unstructured data as something that you you cannot put in an Excel sheet and run formulas against it, right? So you could paste pictures of cats and dogs in the cells, but equals cat or dog uh, as a formula isn't going to work. Um, yeah, and I actually I, I think of unstructured data in really two categories. Maybe there's more. I'm not an yeah. unstructured data expert, but I, I'll tell you. Uh, personally, what it means to me, right? Human-generated unstructured data, email, you, you told us about. Yeah. Your email. Uh, text files, these are word, word yep. and all that. Social media, huge. Yes, absolutely. Area, right? And websites, uh, a lot of unstructured data there. Um, there's also mobile uh, communications, right? SMS data. Um, you know, it could be pictures, it could be text, it could be um, media, these are digital photographs. I mean, you can see when you look at Google Photos now, you yeah. can actually search on your on your uh, app, right? And then, um, so that's one, the human-generated gen unstructured data. The other one is machine-generated unstructured data. So yep. things like scientific data, digital, you know, surveillance, um, you know, the... Um, uh, things like uh, the military using reconnaissance, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. And then satellite Im imagery is another one uh, that I can think of that uh, is a really good uh, example of uh, machine-generated data. So yeah, and then maybe a, a a really mundane one, which is just server logs. Like, what is what are your oh, yeah, machines that's doing? That's yeah. a really good one, actually. Yeah, machines. Yeah. They're often a. Um, either a gold mine or a minefield, depending on, uh, you know, we, we had a, we had a customer who wanted to make sure that there was no PII being logged. Right. And so they used our platform to, to build out tooling for that. Um, okay. So that's, that's what unstructured data is. You talked a little bit about the opportunity. Um, maybe you can tell me a little bit about how, how is it that a platform, uh, like, you know, SSNC Blue Prism on the RPI side and a platform like Indico or a homegrown platform for processing unstructured data into structured data. How do you put those together in the right way to make the most of the two of them? Well, uh, I, I really love this topic because now you're talking about business impact, right? That's so, right. So you have Indico that can look at unstructured data and then generate insights and so on. On the input side, Indico, um, you know, RPA or intelligent automation can actually bring all kinds of data. We talked about human generated, we talked about machine generated. If for some reason, uh, Indico doesn't have access to that, to that data sets, to yep. those sets, on the input side, we can bring, you know, as you, I think at one point you said sucking in data. Yeah, yeah. we can suck in all kinds of data. Um, and then once, Indico does what it does so well, right? They construct data, create meaning out of it. Um, I'm simplifying it, but- No, I, I love it. Then there are actions to be driven, right? Um, there are things to happen based on um, letting the data speak for itself, right? And driving those actions. Um, I, I remember somebody from, I think it was you that had said something about data move. What was, what was it that you had said at one point? Yeah, we, we think about unstructured data in really three categories. So automation, which we've been talking about, analysis, which is, you know, being able to query what's in the data, and then application where the data really drives the process. The data, once you once you can process unstructured data, you can let the data tell you where it needs to go. 
right? And drive instead of be a part of the process. I love that. It's it's a much more action oriented than letting saying let the data speak for itself. You're actually saying let the data drive. Yeah. What happens next. And that's where we, we can come in on the output side, right? Where the data is driving. You know, these digital workers can actually be the arms and legs to go get yep. work, right? Whether it is take an action into a system of record or uh, do something else, right? Notify a client, whatever it is, right? They all yeah. Kinds of, so. yeah. And, and email is a great example of that where, you know, RPA can do a lot on its own with here's the metadata, who it's from, um, you know, maybe even parsing the subject line. But once you get in the body of an email, you really need understanding of like, what is this person asking for? Are they angry? Um, did they attach all of the things that they say they attached in the body of the email to drive? And then the email sort of gets marked up with all of that information. And now the bot can look at it and say, okay, angry needs to go to the top of this queue. Uh, they forgot to attach something that goes to some sort of remediation process, right? Um, it's a great way to describe a simple, simple example. I love it. Yeah. Everyone has to deal with email. Right? <laughs> um, so we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, how RPA and, you know, unstructured data platforms can work together. What do you see as some of the unique challenges of working with unstructured data? And I, I, would, I would love if it's possible to tie that back to the maturity levels that you talked about for the business. So uh, in terms of uh, maturity, so um, some of the unique challenges are um, dealing with, um, you know, new kinds of data, I guess. So, so some mm -hmm. organizations, for example, um, are having challenges dealing with social media uh, as a, a, a data input. Um, the, the volume also can be challenging for some. I know uh, platforms... Uh, uh, such as yours can deal with a lot of value, but you know there are some organizations have huge, huge volumes that, and there's an expectation from you know the other side, the customers that are expecting yeah. something to happen at a certain pace, and yep. uh, the volume can can be a challenge. And for the you know if if I tie it back to the three levels, what we find is, you know those that remember what we said about level three, which was uh, these organizations are uh, creating processes, doing things without really saying, oh, let me think about what exists today and let me try to adapt yes. to that. Rather yes. than starting with the end in mind and saying, this is what I need done. How can I do it, right? And yep. I think a similar approach to address, address some of those challenges applies, right? To take some of that, um, um, you know, uh, to say, okay, this is what I'm, what my customer is expecting. How do I get it done? Uh, done right How, can i use digital combination of digital workers and a solution like indico to achieve what i need uh, done right so yeah and and a lot of that comes from just comfort right so uh i think a lot of, like you like you talked about a lot of organizations have maybe reached level two they've become very comfortable with the tooling i think ai in the enterprise has lagged behind and you know getting to that state where you really understand um, when I put this in, this is what I'm going to get out. And so now I can think about the process. I can abstract away from the technologies, right? And then I can think about the process should be and plug things in when we're ready to go. Yeah, no, well said, actually. So Thank you. Uh, I mean, 
I'm just using, you know, words that you set me up with uh, when we were talking about the maturity model that you mentioned, I, I think is, is fantastic. So it, I'm, I'm trying to riff off of that as much as possible. Um, coming up, uh, we're coming up here on the end of our time together. Um, I would love to have you talk about, you know, SS&C Blue Prism and Indicore Partners. So, you know, full disclosure there for the rest of the audience. I would love to talk to you about um, some of the successes that you've seen, like, like, we talked a little bit in the abstract about how to plug these things together. What have you seen like specifically um, as a win in combining the technologies? Yeah, so we uh, one of our common customers is a large global insurance company mm -hmm. and they use um, Blue Prism in HR, in finance, in the front office for claims processing and so on. I think they, in, in those, a lot of those use cases, they come across unstructured data all the time. And I know uh, Indico Data's, they're, they're one of Indico Data's late, la largest customers and they're ours too. So what, what we see happening there is the two together, right? We talk about one plus one is um, coming together. And in each of these use cases where there is some structured data that you know the company needs to make meaning out of, so this global insurer is able to actually take leverage Indico with Blue Prism, you know, we talked about how on the input side data comes in and then on the output side from Indico, uh, action has to be taken. And that's yep. exactly how they're using it. It's it's beautiful to see it in action when, um, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, this is how we think it'll work. When actually a customer shows you how it does work, uh, yeah. it's it's really uh, good to see, right? And, uh, so that's what we're seeing with this global insurer. Um, they they speak highly of, you know, both Blue Prism and Indico and what it's doing for their business. In fact, I think we you know, we are continuing to see them grow. And I know Indico is too. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I would say they that particular customer has come a long way in the in the two years that I was boots on the ground with them for a while, uh, getting things up and running. They've really shot up the maturity curve um, in the way that they're thinking about things. And part of the reason for that is like you said, they're they're using the tools together in the right way. Um, it's it's a little surprising to me that, and a lot of your competitors, right? They, they still talk about like, we're the one platform that will do everything for you. And, and the truth is maybe, but probably not because you know, there are technologies that are the right thing for certain use cases. And as much as, as nice as it would be to have one platform that does everything, that, that really isn't the story right now. Maybe you can do everything, but you can't do it well. So why not? Yeah. Um, you know, so that's why we say best to breed and give customers choice, right? That's why we exist uh, as uh, techno the technology partner ecosystem, um, because we believe that we have to give customers choice. When it comes yes. to technology, they leverage best-in-class technology from different vendors, and you know, optimize the business outcomes based on that. We are not in it to say, you know, it's us or you know, you go away. No, that doesn't yeah. work. It's, yeah, it's not and I, yeah, I'll double click on that. Focus on optimizing the business outcomes. Um, everything else follows from that. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's let's put a big bow on this thing. Uh, you've given us a lot to chew on in terms of how to think about a COE, how to think about automation, how to think about tools. Um, for those COE leads out there today that are that are tuning in, what's the one thing, the one most important thing they should be thinking about 
um, as they as they start their job today? I will make it very simple, Chris. Okay. Um, it's always about knowing your customer, right? And in the case of the COE, their customer, their internal customer is that business unit. Yes. And the more they know their the, the business that they are supporting, right? The better they will be to work with vendors like us to deliver value. And it's all about delivering value. So knowing your customer, it all starts with knowing your customer, whoever that customer is in this case. For the COE, it's the line of businesses they support. That's right. Yeah. Know your customer. It's it's an interesting role, right? The COE, because you have to be part technology expert, you know, part consultant, uh, part internal sort of champion for these things. Um, it takes yeah. a special breed of person to do a good job in this role. Yeah. They, they need to have a good mix of, you know, understanding the technology, but also understanding the business. And that Indeed. takes a person, right, to know to know about. In fact, yeah. in some the partner organization that I lead is that way, right? You need to know the technology. You also need, you know, to manage partnerships and, you know, get the most out of those partnerships. And how do you do that if you have both skills? So. Yeah, absolutely. And I would I would also throw in, you know, talk to your vendors. Like if you're an SSNC Blue Prism client and you're trying to figure out how to solve these problems, whether it's on the unstructured side or the structured side, like there are experts in these organizations that have seen this done well. Um, and so lean on them as much as possible. Um, well said, because we, you know, this just happened. Um, sorry, this is going a little longer. No, you're okay. It's just, yeah. it just happened where, you know, they came, one of our COEs and we get to work with some of the best COEs in the world, I think we're fortunate, right? They came to us saying, help me understand. I'm trying to solve this this you know thing in the HR our HR business unit. These are the pain points. These are the priorities. How would I solve it? And can you talk about some use cases? And we came to them with some great use cases. They loved it. And next okay. thing we know, now they are scheduling meetings with their line of business they are supporting. So. There you go. Yeah, yeah. You have that broader insight, right? So they they should be talking to you. Um, all right. Last question. Uh, there are still lots of challenges out there. And as you think about these technologies and sort of even that con consultative aspect of working with vendors who, who uh, offer these technologies, what challenge do you think we're gonna tackle? What's the big one that we're gonna tackle in the next few years by combining these technologies? Um, it's really, um, you know, as, so it's, it's the balance between efficiency and effectiveness for me, right? Using the uh, the combination of um, humans plus the digital labor, how can you achieve the business outcomes? But you know, like I think you had given a great example earlier. You can make um, a business very efficient, but for what purpose? Why are you yeah. doing it? Right? Um, can you um, be effective for your customers, for your stakeholders, for your? I mean, this also includes employees, right? Being the the stakeholders they are. So how can you achieve that balance is the biggest thing, I think, um, that, that we will see over the next few years. Because you could go on one end of the spectrum or the other, right, in terms yeah. of using the best of breed technology that's out there. But how do you achieve that balance uh, is what I'm thinking about all the time. So. Okay. Well, that's great. Um, 
You've been listening to uh, an episode of Unstructured Unlocked. I've been joined today by Satish Shanoi, VP of Technology Alliances and Ecosystems at SSNC Blue Prism. Satish, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time and your thoughts. Thank you so much, uh, Chris. Uh, it's been the pleasure is all mine. So I really enjoyed this. <laughs> all right. I might have to fight you about that. But uh, uh-huh. for now, we'll agree to disagree. Thank you, Satish. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Unstructured Unlocked. You can find all of our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts today. Spotify, Apple, everywhere. Be sure to follow at Indico Data on Twitter and YouTube. Have a good day, Automated.